about our, uh, the teens have been going through the series, Why I Believe What I Believe, and so I probably ought to have some of you adults come up here and finish this lesson off for me, because we're going to talk, we talk, started last week with, uh, with um, separation, and what separation is, and what, why, what it means, and we're going to f- uh, finish that off that thought tonight and get as far as we can with it. All right, Bible is sole authority, autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believer, uh, two ordinances, which are... What are the two ordinances that we practice? Adults are welcome to open that too. Answer. Baptism and Lord's Supper, all right. Individual soul liberty, the right to do that which is right. Saved and baptized church membership, the two offices of... Didn't that kick on? No. Well, we're going to be waiting a while for that one to come up, all right? Two offices. What are the two... We have more than two offices here at church, but what are the two biblical offices that have... Pastor and deacon, all right, and we find uh, uh, the qualifications for those. It is on, isn't it? All right, am I going to have to turn my, pull my pulpit back there and everybody turn around, or how are we going to do this? <clears throat> I, get, I get the notes, and you just have to watch me tonight, all right? We'll get it figured out. All right, and then separation is the last one, and that is where uh, the teens and I started uh, a little bit last week, and we'll pick up there. Let me ask you this question. What is Separation. When we talk about it in a biblical sense or in a non-biblical sense, what is separation? What? Apart. Okay, there's a division between something. Here's a dictionary definition, an act or instance of separating or the state of being separated, a place, a line, a point of parting, a gap, a hole, a rent, or the like, something that separates or divides. Now let me ask you this question. Why do Christians separate? Teenagers, look all around at the adults and ask them, why do we separate? Y'all are trying to figure that one out in your lives a lot of times. Okay, we might do it as a witness for the Lord. Why else might we separate? Because here's the truth. If it's a witness for the Lord, all right, then I'm only going to separate when I'm around unsaved people. So why else do I separate? These are the things that we as Baptists are supposed to believe. If I don't know what I believe, then I'm in trouble, all right? So why else do we separate? I know I'm putting the pressure on y'all. Why else would I separate, though? Let's think it through. I'm a Christian. Okay, I'm saved. What does the word saved mean? If I'm saved, what does that mean? That I'm separated to whom? To, see, we have to understand with this idea of separation that a lot of times what we do is we look at the people around us and we say, I'm not going to be around them. But understand that separation is, has a negative and a positive. This negative is I'm separating hopefully not from the person, from the sin that that person is involved in, okay? Which oftentimes is going to mean that I have to separate from that person because they will not give up that sin. But what is the positive act, a, aspect of, of separation? Separated to God, okay? Pastor Barrett and Elaine are going to be home. Uh, last word I heard was maybe later, late tonight or something. If they, I guess maybe if they, uh, the trip was long, they may wait till tomorrow. But we were up there two weeks ago for their wedding ceremony. Now, when they stood there for the wedding ceremony, uh, Pastor Howell asked Brother Barrett. He said, Jacob, do you have something to give your wife? What was the answer? What do you think, Gabby? Did he say yes or no? What did he give her? A ring. What's the purpose of that wedding ring? 
to show everyone that she belongs to whom? To him. And she did the same thing, gave him a ring to show everyone that he belongs to her. Separated. This idea that is only for that person. The ultimate goal is to be separated from anything that will hinder us from being separated unto God. That ought to be the goal. And if that is not the thought process behind everything, then we get in trouble as a Christian because all of a sudden we have to start putting up all of these rules and I hate that, and I hate that, and I hate that, but I don't know why I hate those things. But if I understand that the end result is I hate this sin because it keeps me from being separated to God, then all of a sudden I've got a reasoning behind everything that I'm doing. And so when Kroger across the street here goes ahead and says that they're going to celebrate Pride Month this month, well then you know what? While they're making a big deal of it, I don't hate Kroger. I like food, okay? I, I mean, I enjoy food. But I don't want to be associated if they are going to be pushing something that is biblically wrong. The Southern Baptists are going through a big quarrel right now about whether or not women preachers and stuff like that. And you've got uh, the, the uh, folks that are... Um, Following Saddleback and Rick Warren, and I mean, they are just slamming the other Southern Baptists. I read a post the other day. One of them said, "Well, the, the Southern Baptist Convention lost 1.5 million people last year. We don't need to be doing things that divide us any more than we already are." I'm sorry, but if people are doing things anti-God, they've already divided themselves. They've made their choice. And that's where separation comes in. We as a Christian have to choose to separate. Take your Bibles. I've already asked you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. We looked at this real quick so we won't spend much time on it. The teenagers and I did. Starting verse number 14. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So, what is the, when all these questions are asked, be not unequally yoked, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, which communion hath light with darkness, what concord hath Christ with Belial, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What's the obvious answer to every one of those questions that Paul asked the Corinthian people? What's the, what is the correlation? What's, the, what's the, the comparison they have? Absolutely nothing. They've got nothing in, in, in common. So then Paul goes and he says, well, you're the temple of God. And so you ought not have, have nothing in common with all these aspects of sinfulness either. Can we just park right here for a second? <clears throat> As an American Christian, Andrew and I were having a conversation, Andrew Cagle today, we went down, we didn't go to Kroger to get watermelons and snacks for the kids, we went down to Walmart, all right? And as we were going down, we were talking about American Christianity. And he's... Andrew has uh, uh, enrolled in Southland Bible Institute, uh, looking to go up there in the fall or planning to go up in the fall and get some education and, and uh, serve the Lord in full-time ministry eventually. Grateful for the opportunity we've got there. But he was just saying, you know, he said, being a Christian and, and serving God, I think it's going to get harder and harder. <laughs> and I said, yep, it is going to get harder and harder. I said, your job as a pastor is going to be a lot harder than my job as a pastor is right now. 
And I told him, I said, and the truth is that my job as a pastor is a lot harder than Pastor Weems' job was 25 years in the sense of respect for Christianity. Now, winning people to Christ is, is always work, all right? People are always sinners. But the respect for Christianity, the respect for churches, the respect for people of God is going to wane away to where they have no respect. Uh, 25 years ago, we didn't have to worry about people coming and stealing uh, off the church vans. People had respect for the things of God. I, now, I, I was talking to Andrew today, I said, the, in the last three years, I have probably chased eight young couples from making out and wanting to go further on the playground. And on, I said, I never had to worry about that 20 years ago. If they, people were going to do that kind of stuff, they didn't do it at church. They did it somewhere else. Because they have this respect for the things of God. But here's what happens. You and I as Christians, we say, well, the world's gotten so bad, but we like what the world offers. And so we keep our distance of separation because we measure ourselves against the sinfulness of the world. But our goal ought not to be to measure ourselves against the sinfulness of the world, but how separated, how close are we to God? And as the gap between God and holiness and the world gets larger, you and I ought to be close to God and the gap between us and the world ought to get larger. But American Christianity, as we live in it today, we have slid further and further and further and further away from God because we look at what the world and it offers and we have flesh and we like it. I've told you the story many and many many times about Madeline when she was two or three years old and something popped up on the television and Madeline is, I'm, I have zero musical ability. Madeline has a bunch of it. And it was some, some uh, wrong music that was playing and, I, and this was, I, don't, I think the remote, we either didn't have a remote for that TV or it was dead. And I said, hey, hey babe, would you, would you turn that off? And she walked over to the television and stood in front of it and kind of danced a little bit. I said, hey, Madeline, turn it off. And she put her hands on her hips as a little two-year-old, and she turned around, she looked at me, and she said, but I like it. And I said, no, you don't. Shut that off right now. <laughs> but here's the thing. We do like it. We like what's... And so this task to be a Christian that is separated from the world is something that we have to work at every day. We don't ever arrive to the point where I don't fight anymore. Okay, so the Christians separate from the world. What else do Christians separate from? Take your Bibles and go over with me to Acts chapter number 5, if you would. Acts chapter number 5. The Bible says when uh, this is, this is uh, Paul and his crew, I'm sorry, Peter and his crew are brought before the government. They've been uh, put in jail, told not to preach anymore in verse number 27 of Acts 5. <clears throat> and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Talking about Jesus Christ. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. American Christians down through the years, we've had to stand for some things against our government, but the truth is we've had it very easy. I'm afraid that day over the last 20 years, 25 years has started to change dramatically, and over the last five years it's changed drastically. 
And so we have to uh, be separated from unbiblical con control. Now, oftentimes we hear this idea of separation of church and state. Can I tell you this? The Bible says right here that we just read where Peter said, well, obey God rather than men. But you will not find in our founding documents that Christians cannot be involved in, in government. In fact, the Bible, you go over to Romans chapter number 13, and we are supposed to be involved in government. God's put government there for our purposes, but we are, there will come times, and there are times where we have to buck government because we have to make a choice. Do I serve God? Do I serve man? The third aspect of, uh, of separation I want to look at tonight is from sinning Christians. And this is a difficult one because those are our people. And we have to balance graciousness with what the Word of God says. And I'm always going to have to fall on the side of what the Word of God says. But I have to remember the Bible says, let our speech be always with salt, seasoned, so that we know how we ought to answer every man. We have to be gracious in what we do. There should, a Christian should never do it out of this holy, I'm doing it because I'm, I'm serving God and so I can be as mean as I want to. You don't find that in Scripture. You find one time where Jesus Christ was upset with people and that was because they were supposed to be the religious people that had turned his house into a, a den of thieves. But you don't find Paul in all the times that, that he was beaten. You don't find him going back and forth over and over again and downplaying all these horrible people. In fact, take, take your Bible with me to Philippians chapter number 1. I want you to see this verse. Philippians chapter number 1. And Paul puts it this way as he writes from prison. Jump down with me to verse number 12. He said, But I would you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. The things that have happened unto him, he's talking about his imprisonment. He's talking about being in under the, under the jurisdiction of the Praetorian Guard, the Roman, uh, the Roman uh, uh, secret service uh, that, there. He says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. I had the opportunity to, to, preach to, to preach to the important people here in Rome, okay? And in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says, hey, you know, because I'm in prison, some of the Christians who weren't sure what they were going to do, they, they realize that God's sustaining me even here in the middle of this prison, and they grab boldness. And catch the next part. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Hey, there's some Christians, they're over there preaching because they, they see the, the everything that's going on in my life, and they say, hey, we want a piece of that. We want to be serving God like that. He said, there are some over here, they're doing out of envy and strife. They're saying, hey, you know what? Paul's getting all the glory. We want the glory. We want to preach over here because we want people to notice us like they're noticing Paul. Or, hey, you know what? Maybe if we preach, the Roman, the Roman uh, government, government, maybe they'll beat Paul a little more and we'd be kind of like that, all right? And he's talking about Christians that are doing it from these wrong reasonings. But I want you to see his response here. Verse number 17. Said, or on verse number 18. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul says, I don't care what's going on. 
what other people are doing. He says, I can only choose to separate myself and do that which is right. And if the other people are doing it for the wrong reasons, God's word is sharp and powerful, quicker than any two-edged sword, and it will not return void. And so even if they're doing it for the wrong reason, listen, God's word is sharp and powerful. We ask, why does God use all of these churches who are not standing upon biblical principles? And why do, why do we see people getting saved? Those? Because God's word won't return void. I can do it out of the wrong, I can preach it out of the wrong pretenses, the wrong version, the wrong whatever, and God's word is still powerful. God's not doing it because I'm using the wrong methods. He's doing it in spite of using the wrong methods. And if I choose the correct methods and I'm on God's side, he can use it in an even more powerful way. But God's, God, God's word is never going to be stopped. It will never pass away. Till heaven and earth may pass away, but yea, my word will not. And it's going to be till the end of time. And it's going to be, thy word, uh, thy word, O Lord, is preserved forever in heaven. It won't go away. And so, but you and I still have to choose to stand apart from Christians who make poor choices. That's what's going on with some of the denominations or, uh, in our country. People are making a stand. Praise God for those who are making the stand against erring brothers and sisters. And you and I have to do the same thing. So keeping on with this idea of from, from sinning Christians, let's go over a couple of principles real quick. If you take your Bible and go back with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 18. How do I deal with a Christian who is sinning and who has offended me? My opinion doesn't matter, all right? I may say go get a wiffle ball bat and whoop them, all right? Doesn't matter, all right? You may like that idea, but let's look what the Bible says. Matthew chapter number 18. The Bible says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man as, and a publican. Keep your finger right there, and I want you to go back with me to Galatians chapter number 1, if you would. But we're going to be right back to Matthew chapter 18. But I want you to see another verse here. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Galatians 6, 1. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you and I would stick in the word sin, mistake, major problem. All right? If a, if, uh, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are, what's the next word? Spiritual. That means you've got to have a little bit of spirituality in you. But if somebody sins, a brother or sister in Christ does wrong, ye which are spiritual, what's the, what's the next phrase say? <clears throat> Restore such and one in the spirit of meekness. Hey, we don't do it in the spirit of, we're going we're gonna to get them, make sure that they're right. Bless God, I'm going to tell them how it is. No. In the spirit of meekness. But notice, we do stand for right. That's why they've got that's why it says you which are spiritual. Because you've got to have enough God in you that you can go deal with them, stand for right without losing your spirituality as you deal with them. Because it can be difficult. 
Okay, so we know, we know that it's a job, that as a Christian, we are to look out from one another. All right? Let's go back to Matthew chapter number uh, 18. And let's look at these principles for the next few minutes, and then we'll head, head to the house. All right, I want you, first of all, first principle, verse number 15, Matthew chapter 18. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, okay? Who did, who did, the, who did the actions? Who wronged someone? Okay, a Christian, Mary, and who is, I'm sorry, who is, who is uh, Jesus Christ talking to here? Is he talking to the person who did the offense or the person who was offended? Who's he writing? Matt chapter 15, verse 18. Who is it? The person that is offended. Okay, what's the first step that goes on in this process that you and I would call Christian restoration or church restoration or church discipline, okay? You get offended. Something has happened to you. There was another person walked into church. They said something to you. They did something to you. They did it off premises or whatever. That you've heard that they've been gossiping. Something has happened, all right? They drove down your road and they ran over your dog, okay? I don't know what happened, but they have, they have offended you, okay? First step in biblical process is what? What? Okay. Responsibility initiates from the offended. Can we time out right here? many church problems would have been cured through the years if the offended person wouldn't have taken their seat on the other side of the auditorium and said, I'm never going to speak to them again. How dare? And every new person that comes in, they run to the door to greet them first <coughs> so that they can talk bad about that person. And that person sitting on the other side doesn't even know they did anything. The initiative goes on the person who is offended. Not my opinion. That's what, isn't that what your Bible says? That's what it says. <coughs> and so you go to them, and notice what it says. When you go to them, who do you take with you? What's it say? Chapter, chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between who? You and him alone. Okay, none of us in here would ever be involved in this, okay? But in a different church, what's the first thing that's going to happen? Somebody offends you. What, you're gonna, what are you going to do first? Uh, wait a minute, let me rephrase that. What does somebody else do first? Let me re what does somebody at so-and-so church down the road or in a different state do? What do they do? Did you hear? Okay, that's one option is they start to talk. What is another very famous option? They'll quit and go someplace else. What's option number three? I hear this all the time. Pastor Weems, I need to have a meeting with you. Can I come to your office tomorrow morning? Oh, thank you. Pastor Weems, so-and-so did this. You need to go tell them that what they did is wrong. Is that biblical? Are any of those responses biblical? No, they're not. Who, if you've been offended... Why do you, let me ask you this. Let's back up. Why do you think God, Jesus Christ, because again, this is, this is Jesus Christ talking here. This wasn't one of the apostles. This wasn't Peter, you know, sticking his foot in his mouth. This was Jesus Christ saying this. Why do you think God said, put, uh, put, the, put the responsibility on the offended person? They may not know. I agree. Why else? Do you think Christians are ever offended over things that aren't worth being offended over? That, we have, that our skin is so thin 
And I'm going to think twice if I know that I've got to go tell them they offended me. I've got two biblical choice. I've got one biblical choice, and I've got one unbiblical choice. Biblical choices. I go tell them what you did bothered me. It hurt me. It did this to me. Other choices. I can be unbiblical. Well, you know what? It takes a little. It'll, you, you better be. You're going to have to be well offended before you're going to go to talk to somebody about it. If it's no big deal, you may talk to everybody about it, but you're not going to have the guts to go talk, face that, per, that Christian. And so Jesus Christ throws it right back in the offended person's lap and says, hey, it better be a big enough offense that it really ought to bother you, that there is a real problem here, that you're not just making something up. Okay, he says, all right. But it, let's, again, for the biblical example, it is a big enough deal that we do need to go and talk to that person. So, we go and talk to them. You got your Bible open again there? Look what it says in next verse, verse number uh, 16. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse number 15. If he shall hear thee, and again, we could substitute he or thee, all right? Or I'm sorry, he or her in there, because this is, this is anthropos, mankind, okay? Not aner, which is a, a human uh, male, okay? And so, men, women, whoever, if, and if he shall hear thee, thou hast what? Gain thy brother. Okay, wait, time out. Brain-wise, go back to Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. If a man offend thee, you which are spiritual, what's the next part say? Restore. Correlates perfectly with what Jesus Christ says here. You've gained a brother. You've gained a sister back. What should the goal be? The goal is to gain them back. It's not to spread the word and let everybody know. It's not to let them know what a lousy, miserable, whatever they are. It's to say, you know what? We're both serving Christ. Let's work together. Let's get back on the same page here. What would the state of the American church be? if we could agree that these are the principles that we stand on. And my preference on paint color and carpet color and, you know, who gets to, who, who gets to hand out snacks at Bible school and we don't care about all those things. We just are willing to serve God and we want to work with our other Christians. Okay? Keep on going there. Verse number, Matthew chapter 18. Buddy, if he will not hear thee, then take with three, two, one or two hundred more, then the mouth of two or three hundred witnesses, every word may be established. Is that what it says? One or two. A non-response from the offending person, now that we've made them aware that they offended us, requires... How many? And again, this is a suggestion. Okay, I mean, this is this is the way he gives two suggestions. There's only two numbers involved there. What are they? One or two? He didn't say three. Okay, one or two. But we kind of like this uh, power in numbers thing, and so we're gonna. That's not what it says. It says one or two. Let's go deal with this and get it solved. Again. Most of us have experience from church where this was not followed correctly. We look at sin and we look at fellow Christians and 
it bothers us that they brought shame upon the name of Christ. Maybe even more than that, they brought name on the name of our church, or maybe even more than that, the exact ministry that we're involved in. And so people associate me with them. And so the truth is, I'm not really concerned about their sin. I'm concerned about how I look, or how my church looks. And so I want nuclear option. Pull out the suit, the nuclear football, man. Give me the codes and let's blow them out of the water. And that's not the way that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to operate. Again, it goes back. The goal is to gain a brother or sister. The goal is to restore such and one. So that they're not overcome with that fault. So that they're useful to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then continue on with me there in Matthew chapter 18. So you've got the one or two people that go with you. So you've got a total of two or three witnesses. You plus one or two others so that you know what goes on. And if they, again, verse number 17, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. And then the church, as a corporate body, again, it doesn't go outside. We don't start telling the cashier over at Kroger and at Dollar General and at Nafee's and at McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell. You can't ever get a hold of anybody at Taco Bell, so it wouldn't happen there, you know. But you don't start telling everybody else. You don't call your brother and your sister and your mom and your dad and your great uncle's third wife. I mean, you don't call any of them. Inside the church, it's a church matter. Then it says there at the end, But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And so what is that? It's saying we're going back and we're treating him like an unsaved person. We're separating ourselves from sin. We're going to have nothing to do with sin. This idea of separation, it is something that we have to do as a Christian. Not for the sake of trying to prove I'm better than other people, Not for the sake of, I want to shine brighter than everyone else. Not for the sake of, I'm ashamed because you do these things. The purpose of separation is not the negative aspect of staying away from this. It's the positive aspect of, I want to stay close to God. And I just don't want to be around that stuff. That that If it's going to pull me away from God, I don't want to be there. You've all played or watched people play tug-of-war before. And you get that big rope across there, okay? And you got that rope around, and usually the person that's at the anchor, maybe they got a big ro- uh, loop around the end, they've got it wrapped around themselves, and there's something in the middle, you know? And everybody's giving everything they got, man. And you watch, t- especially teenage boys, they get involved into it. I mean, they will, their hands will become raw, pulling on that rope. They will be doing everything. Why? Because they got to go, they want to go this direction. And that ought to be us as a Christian. I'm pulling back this way because I want to be stay close to my God. And if you're pulling me this that way. No, I don't want to go there. I want to stay here. But a lot of times, and I lump myself in this category, a lot of times, I don't have to stay here. I can scoot forward a little more and a little more. I just don't want to get in the mud. I just don't want to get dirty and people notice that, but it's okay. I mean, if, if if God's over there, the goal's over there, and I get slid all the way, I'm okay, you know? And a lot of times it's even, hey, the people on my same, time, same side who are in front of me, as long as they get dirty, that's okay, as long as I'm clean. 
And it's this idea of it's because I'm selfish and I'm prideful. But if my goal for separation has zero pride in it, but is just, I want to be close to my Savior, it'll take away all of the negative aspects. And people may say things to me, but they won't stick. Because I'm allowing Christ to work in my life. Church discipline for continued resistance is the fourth one there. But again, going back to it, why do I believe what I believe? As the days roll forward, we're going to have to be solid in what we believe in God's Word. We're not going to be able to live on what we've been taught in the past and just go along with, well, that's just what the church, church teaches. I need to be able to stand solidly on this book. And you need to know why you do what you do. Teenagers, you, you all will make choices in the next few years about whether you really believe or don't believe what this book teaches. If you're going to stand for God, you're going to run through some difficult times because our society does not believe the importance of this book and the importance of living for God. And it's going to be t- difficult. Some of these folks sitting behind you, they could share with you examples. Some of you may be able to share examples of difficulties that you've gone through because you've chosen to stand for Christ. But I look forward to one day standing before my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and hearing these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then I've got all of, all of eternity to spend time with my Savior and rejoice in the fact that I stayed separated to Him in this earthly life. Let's pray and we can be dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the principles that you give to us. Father, I'm so grateful that I don't have to try to make up this Christian life but that as I search your word, I can see how you expect me to live and the joy that it brings. Joshua tells us back in the book of Joshua, this, word, this book of, of, the, of the word shall not depart out of our mouth, then thou shalt have good success, Lord. All of us want success in our lives, in our families' lives, in our children's lives. Father, we'll only find that as we spend time in this word each and every day. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen.